0: this episode was brought to you by the great people on patreon dave greg ryan dan ian urza kevin james ashley greg and pearl raul joel brian amy ian west and trey stick around for an extended shout out at the end now on the
1: episode welcome to another episode of father and son watch horror movies I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined as always by my trusty sidekick,
0: Jackson, the son. And now as a college student, I can confirm that anthropology and really all humanity courses in general are about 75 percent discussions about sewer alligators and Candyman.
1: Folks, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we cover. And today we have a double feature. Candyman from 1992 and Candyman from 2021 buddy it's been a while since it's just been the two of us podcasting and uh, we're experimenting a bit because this is the first episode we've done with you at college and uh and with my puppies around barking and so and so that's Bacall the mini golden doodle who barks at everything come here girl um how's it been going uh well it's it's been going well i've been
0: adjusting well and uh i'm just glad that now i can if i make any weird noises i can blame it on the dogs like being able to blame a fart on the dogs that's a podcasting (laughs) version of that so if my belly rumbles or if i sneeze i'll just be like oh it was the puppies you understand i'm a professional i
1: I know i know how to work the mic there you go and i've only got one puppy in here the others outside with megan's but Mm -hmm. um what we're gonna do is we'll talk about these films in order so if you haven't seen Candyman 2021, it will come last, and we will, but call shut up, and we will discuss it for a few minutes before we launch into spoilers. And so, yeah, I may need to take a break and throw her outside. But anyway, um, <laughs> the IMDb synopsis for Candyman 1992 reads The Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth what do you think pretty solid pretty
0: solid yeah. i mean they've they've had quite a quite a long time to get it right so i'm glad that it's at least on brand um but uh yeah that is it it is certainly more basic uh than ah.
1: the sequel the, the plot at least so first things first when did you first see bernard rose's Candyman man from 1992 You see, I'm not
0: really sure. Uh, The first time I watched it or documented it on Letterboxd was early 2019, but I'm sure I'd seen it before then. Um, uh, Yeah, this is, again, this is one of those ones, it's a horror movie, everybody knows it. Even if they haven't seen the movie, they've seen it and they've seen scenes from it. but I would say probably the first time I watched it with a critical eye was early 2019. And I, I loved it right from the get go. Um, it instantly became one of my favorites of the decade. Um, it is, it's not, I wouldn't call it, you know, one of my favorites of all time. It's not my top 10 horror movies. But uh, for the decade, it is it is essential and um i i just love it for how it builds the the narrative so so well it's 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 a slow burn some some could call it a slow burn i mean Candyman himself doesn't really show up uh in mm-hmm. full form until like halfway through the movie but um when he does it's business time <laughs> so uh, i love it for that i love the mystery i love the whole aspect of like what is really going on who is the killer? It's like you—you're never sure until you are, and until the movie makes it clear. Um, so I love that—that that, uh, it for that, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It feels really grounded and scholarly. It feels like really smart. Uh, it's not just a slasher. It's—it's it's not uh, as much as I love slashers. It's—it's it's smarter. Oh, than I that.
1: think this is a slasher, but I think I, it's a smart slasher.
0: See, I disagree. I think the fact that there's what? no slashing until like until a certain point in the movie when it becomes very psychologically jarring. I don't I don't think it, it qualifies as a slasher. Oh. Certainly certainly Candyman is a slasher villain, and especially we get that with like Candyman two and three, um, where it devolves more into straight up like a splatter flick But the first one, I would say it's more of a psychological thriller. I, I honestly think that it's 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 too smart and too, um, I don't want to say confusing, but too mysterious to be be deemed a slasher. You can be
1: smart and be a slasher. I mean, Scream is smart. Halloween is smart. Nightmare on Elm Street is smart. And they're slashers. I think the reason why some people shy away from calling this a slasher, I would call it a slasher. I mean, there's no, the killer here is slicing people with a hook.
0: (laughs) Right. So, but it's
1: uh, not it's not uh I know what you did last
0: summer. It's 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 the focus is not the kills. The focus on is on who's killing them. The 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 mystery is the main the main point of the well, movie. But there are
1: slashers that have mysteries, but I I you know, whether it's, you know, Happy Birthday to Me or whatever that kind of have uh, Happy Birthday to Me is kind of a Scooby Doo ending, but it's still like a mystery. I don't I don't have a problem with that. Um I know. I I this is on my top, uh, my list of slashers on IMDb. It's actually, I think, number four. Um, it's that high. I think it's a slasher. Um, I think it is a smart slasher, but I think it is a slasher. And so I, I but I, I don't, yeah, I don't see that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like a nail gun massacre. And I know that's like the bottom of the rung, even though I love it. Um, or a slumber party massacre to be a slasher. I think it can be a smart movie and still be a slasher. And like Halloween was, Halloween was definitely a smart film, uh, nightmare in Elm street. I've always said, which we haven't covered and we will one day, but we're probably going to save that for Gilman man. If you're listening, um, you know, because it is such an inventive premise, right?
0: yeah and that's so that it's just really what it comes down to me for me is it's a gut feeling I don't feel that it's a slasher I feel that it's too much of a slow burn I feel that it's too psychological and it's too nuanced and it hints at political issues I feel like it's a little bit too and I you could say that yeah lots of slashers do that as well and I was just thinking I was like a lot of the movies I consider slashers other people argue aren't slashers they're giallos like they're Suspiria which I consider a slasher but that's all about the mystery and about who's killing people and well but there are a lot of
1: slashers that like i said have the mystery element to it i mean we covered the prowler they tried to make it a mystery yeah (laughs) it didn't work uh there were a lot of so-called red herrings in there that we were all and the the, director all of us you and i greg and mortis were like yeah that wasn't yeah yeah joseph zito even said yeah i didn't buy the red herrings um it's just in the script
0: so i shot it right exactly but, so, yeah, I, I feel like it, it's a little bit different though than those whodunit type of slashers, and that we we there are two choices of who it is, and it's it's how you look at it for that first like 50 minutes or whatever. It's it's like is Candyman literally killing these people? Is it Helen and she's just blacking out? She's being controlled by the Candyman, or is Helen just crazy in general? So it's not really a whodunit. It's a it's it's more of like a psycho. You have to psychoanalyze Helen essentially. But um, there's still gore. I mean, we right. see Bernadette. Oh, oh, that's yes. corpse. I mean, goodness There's, sakes. And
1: there's a young life. boy that yeah. is castrated in this movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. that is so disturbing in that bathroom scene at Cabrini Green. Oh. Oh man, yeah. Th- this movie is scary. I mean, this is not not to imply that it's it's more like The Shining, where it's about the ambience and and getting in the heads of these characters of like Jack. It's not like that. There are kills. Um, there is a body count. Candyman does have a body count. It's not yeah. like Jack Torrance where he kills one person. Um, there is a body count. Um, but yeah, it, it, and it is disturbing. I will say that both Candyman and the sequel, I feel like. They're more disturbing than scary. It's more the ideas and how frank the violence is presented to you. I, I did ideas.
1: not care for the sequels. Um, uh, I'm talking about the, 2 the 2021. Oh, okay. Case. Yeah, we'll get to there. But right. I, I know you've seen Candyman 2. Have you seen Candyman 3? no i have not i i couldn't bring myself to
0: i only have watched candy man 2 um to be honest with you it, it just it just didn't have the tone of the of the original well movie. it
1: didn't have we'll get to this bernard rose's direction which i thought right. was incredible but i saw Candyman from 1992 in the theater on opening weekend and i remember being ticked off because i wanted to see it on friday night but i was 20 years old and i was working on a congressional campaign and if and a congressional campaigns, especially in October, they're twenty four seven, usually six, seven days a week. So I had to wait and t- to see it till Sunday night, and it just ticked me off. Darn it, politics and horror just don't <laughs> mix. Um, but have you I, I, I don't know if you got the opportunity. We talked about this. Have you read the short story? It's based on the forbidden. No, I
0: tried to find a good copy of it online. I think I'm just gonna have to to track it down at the library or in that book. He has that um. uh, Well, he has like a compilation of short
1: stories, sort of like Books of Blood. Yeah, there There are four volumes, I believe. Books of Blood. Yeah, I read them in. I'm a huge Clive Barker fan. At Mm -hmm. least in the 80s and early 90s. I I haven't really followed him since. But Books of Blood, The Hellbound Heart loved the novel the damnation game that's a great great novel a, kind of a twist on the faust you know mythology yeah, um, yeah. now i haven't read barker's books of blood in decades but i still own it it's up in you know upstairs somewhere and i remember seeing the movie and thinking it was a fairly close adaptation of the short story i mean they moved it from liverpool england to chicago um right. The Candyman character was actually implied that he was white. Um, a few other changes were made. I may be wrong. I may need Vicious Victor to, you know, message me and tell me what I missed because it's been a while since I've read it. But mm-hmm. um, that's what I thought. I that's when I saw it and I was excited to see it because I was a fan of Clive Barker. At the time, I'm still a fan. I just haven't read a lot of his stuff after like mid '90s. It it kind of veered into more fantasy territory than horror yeah. in my opinion sure. and so i just kind of checked out but what do you think of the plot and the screenplay of Candyman, 1992 oh i love the screenplay i yeah and I, i'm bummed out i didn't get to
0: read the short story because i did read the summary of it and it does seem like um they they really just took the premise of the short story and kind of
1: premise no pun intended <laughs>
0: yeah well uh i, sh- I should have said meat hooked but um uh anyways they, they it does feel like they just kind of made that they adapted into a feature length and did whatever they needed to do to make it feature length but um yeah i would love to read it i love clive barker uh, hellraiser is one of my favorite uh movies of all time it's, it's in my top 10 of the 80s um and i think just movies in general not even horror movies just movies in general i love hellraiser um but uh yeah i love the plot i love how in this movie especially and and i'll, I'll talk about one of my gripes with the nia da Costa movie as much as i loved it um this one definitely <laughs> does feel more mysterious and more nuanced well we'll talk about it but uh, uh, oh the it, nuance, is
1: nuanced. it is not
0: more nuanced but go ahead it's like it opens up so many questions. It's like it, it reminds me almost of a Lovecraftian thing and that the lore of Candyman is so ripe for expansion, which is something I think that Nia Costas' movie did well. Yes. Um, it, it opens up a lot of questions about Candyman. And I really feel like the 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 original sequels from the 90s missed out on that potential greatly. They didn't capitalize on that. They focused on Candyman as a villain, as a killer. They focused more on his meat hook rather than the character himself. You know
1: what he could do with the meat. How can yeah? You it was like it was like a lot of sequels, right? It, it, it ends right. up becoming about the kills and all that other kind of stuff instead of yeah. what made the original so special. Absolutely,
0: yeah. So I I honestly and again this is. Um, Not to get ahead of of myself here, but it does feel a lot like what uh, Halloween has done recently, where they're like, okay, we had that great, really smart, smash hit original film, Halloween, and then we had a bunch of sequels that slowly dipped in quality how about we just reboot it all. Say this is a direct sequel to the original and really focus on the ideas that that could have been expanded upon. Um, and that's, that's what I think that they've done with Candyman. I mean, even going so far as to name it just Candyman, just simply Candyman. Um, which but, is what yeah. they did with Halloween, right? Right, exactly. So, um, yeah. So, I, I yeah, as much as I hate that naming convention, it does make sense. I mean, you're like, it's it's basically like like what a rock band will do with their eponymous album, right? Like, this is our sound. We're we're our self-titled albums are are like this is this is us. This is the this is you're, we're coming back to the original sound. Anyways, um, but yeah, I love the screenplay. I love the dialogue. It just feels so natural. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when Helen is talking to the two uh janitors at the college Mm -hmm. and and it you can just sense even in this one scene with between the two janitors that those those two are really actually friends and they, they their dialogue is so natural it's just it's just so fantastically written and acted um and uh and we'll get into the cinematography i guess but it, the whole thing just feels so real it feels so grounded almost like a documentary um until the supernatural start stuff starts happening i mean when when helen and bernadette are just kind of exploring cabrini green taking pictures you feel like you're watching a documentary like you're watching like a true crime sort of like bringing it back to halloween 2018 you're watching true crime people investigate a real uh, a real crime right. scene it feels like that like you're watching a real a real thing of course once we get Candyman jumping backwards through a window and flying away. Then then you realize, oh, it's a horror movie. But um, I do love how grounded and, and mysterious it starts. So uh, fantastic screenplay, fantastic adaptation. I can only assume a fantastic adaptation because the end product is amazing. It may be, I don't know, leagues worse than the short story. Maybe the the best short story of all time. But as far as I can tell, it seems to be a
1: great adaptation. I, I don't remember being blown away by this short story. I remember liking it. Um, but I always thought that Clive Barker did better with maybe not short stories so are his short stories are strong but i thought his novels and novellas were better right. like the hellbound heart or the damnation game but mm-hmm. um i think the thing can be said solid. of most of, of most horror authors sure. i feel
0: their their long form work is usually better
1: sure but i think it's solid and we should say that bernard rose not only directed he also wrote the screenplay um he had read the books of blood He's a fellow, you know, um, member of the United Kingdom with Clive Barker, ran into him in a party in like 90 or 91, told him how much he loved The Forbidden, said he'd like to make it as a film. Um, and so Clive Barker said, yep, I'll sell you the rights. Let's do it. And he made him an executive producer. Clive Barker was involved in this as a producer. I, I think the screenplay is really solid. As you said, it's it's a bit of a slow burn. It builds. We don't really see Tony Todd as Candyman I say see, not here until about forty-five minutes in to the film. Um, <clears throat> as in a lot of Clive Barker stuff, there are religious themes in the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Candyman essentially has a church. He even refers to them as his congregation. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which is
0: that the people of, of Cabrini Green need to believe in him? He's like a he's like a Christ-like figure as well, with all these frescoes painted of him. Um, yeah, yes, there, there are a lot of a lot of religious themes in this. And, yeah, of course, uh, Clyde Barker, that is something he likes to to write about. And, um, yeah, I, I love but I love the fact that that we don't actually see Tony Todd until that scene in the parking garage, because yeah. it's what a reveal. I mean, just hearing his voice booming in the parking garage, uh, and then we see him from afar. Does he
1: not have one of the best voices in the business? An amazing voice. Everything no. he's in, no matter what he is, even the mortician guy has, in Final Destination. He, we'll talk about him in a minute. But right. He has presence. He has charisma. He's yeah. got an amazing voice. He's yeah. just, uh, well, well, I'll gush on Tony Todd here in a minute, but sure. I, I, you know, he's sleeping on an altar when Helen finds him. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about that. He's that he lives through this myth and he kills to keep people talking about him. And that's what keeps him alive or at least relevant. Mm-hmm. And at least that's what I thought. What about you? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely
0: he is definitely like a biblical type character, and there are people who impersonate him. I mean, there mm-hmm. there is a guy in the in the bathroom with with the meat hook. Um, uh, it's it's like he has. There are people claiming to be him, but they're not him. You know what I mean? He there. It's um yeah, definitely he's definitely a a biblical like pro a proportion character, um, and yeah, his layer is very much like that's a church that he has his own little church, right? Um, and he has he's what's gonna sacrifice a baby? It's it is very old testament, um, but yeah, yeah it's I love, very
1: like Canaanite old testament, right? right? Yeah, right. I yeah, yeah, I love
0: Candyman as a character. I love uh, Daniel Robitaille. Is that a, am I pronouncing that right? I know it's um, it's like
1: a. Uh, I think so. I think uh, you're doing it right. But yeah, the character who you know is, um, you know, well, <laughs> there. It, it, We'll talk about Candyman 2021 because they kind of put a new spin on it, don't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah, little, absolutely. But, and so it kind of leads you down the path. This isn't a spoiler. It just leads you down the path of how much of this is fact and how much of this is myth. Yeah, and and yeah, that that is something I really appreciated
0: because um, it, it's like – yeah i i know i know exactly what you're talking about it's like the the urban legends is pretty much what it's the theme of the movie is urban legends and how they get started and how they develop over time and what's real and what's fake i mean we we pretty much pretty close to open on two urban legends we have helen being told the urban legend by by the the student and then we have uh trevor in his class um, talking about, you know, the sewer sewer gators. Yeah, alligators in the
1: sewer, yeah.
0: Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it really does make you wonder how much is fact and how much is fiction. Um, like, ha- how much of Daniel Robitaille's life, this old urban legend about him being a slave who was a painter and falling in love with, with this woman. Like, how much... I mean, we know some
1: of it. Well, true. in the original, know- he's a the son of an heir, right? of mm-hmm. He's the son of a former slave who, according to what they're saying, he, you know, invented this way to mass produce shoes. Yeah. And so he was kind of wealthy. He mm-hmm. he comes from wealth. He's he's up a crust. He's not, you know, he he's not um what people, because this is basically set in the south side of Chicago. This breaks all of those kind of stereotypes about somebody from South Side of Chicago, like when we meet. You know the mother of the baby, Vanessa Williams. You know, and she's you know talking about when she's confronting, you know Bernadette and Virginia Madsen's character. And she's like, "Oh well, we're all on crack here, aren't we? We're all just you know." And you know, she's kind of rolling her eyes, at like, "Yeah, I know what you all think about us here." And he's also that character. He was a very wealthy man. Yeah, his father, as you know, is a former slave became an entrepreneur and he's you know so and tony todd has said this we'll talk about tony todd here in a minute that he sees this as a romantic figure
0: yeah absolutely just
1: as a as a one-dimensional character and i really like that yeah i mean the relationship
0: that he and helen have is very complex um and originally there was more uh footage between them that was cut because apparently the the um the production company or, or someone, some higher up that didn't like all the interracial stuff in there. Because I think originally uh, in the script, doesn't Helen say that she loves Candyman when they're they're spinning around? I think that was cut. Um that was in the script, but it was cut.
1: Well they um, did take I did read, and this is yeah. IMDB, so take this for what it's worth, that Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen took dancing classes together in order to kind of build a rapport. And I think it's there. I think yeah. I think you can see it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: they have a very complex relationship, and I really appreciate that. Um, like the first time that that Helen sees Candyman in the parking garage, she doesn't scream. She doesn't run away. She's fascinated. And actually, you know, this is kind of a behind the scenes thing, and I'm sure you've, you've seen this. Um, but um, they actually Virginia Madsen was actually hypnotized during those those shots to get her looking really glassy eyed and, and kind of like that. she's under. That's her. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it works. I mean, it really does look like she's hypnotized by him. Um, And I, I mean, I don't blame her. I mean, he's also He's just striding towards her. What is he oh, like? Oh, I am foot comfortable five? enough
1: in my sexuality as a heterosexual married man to say, yeah. Tony Todd is a handsome dude. I mean, yeah. he just is. He's a handsome yeah. guy. But he's mm-hmm. also an imposing figure. He's like Very six scary. foot five, yeah. And he's got that voice that's like an octave deeper than God. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. yeah. And he's, yeah. I'll just go ahead and spoil it. He's an amazing actor. And it's just, so we'll talk about him in a second. But, you know, the script also has that trope that we spoke to Andred about, which is the idea of the victim becoming the victimizer, right? Yeah. Yeah, because he starts out at least in the urban legend
0: as a sympathetic character. Um, yeah. who just he just fell in love and because of his race he was he was lynched for that fact. Yeah. Um but of course, you know, in in going about his revenge, he turns on the people of Cabrini, he kills black people. So it's like he's forgotten his original the well, reason for it his all revenge comes. And,
1: yeah, it all comes back to that thing where he's like, I have to keep my legend alive.
0: Right. So he cares more about being the candy man at that point than he does about getting revenge for the original injustice to him. He goes from, as uh Andred the Blind always, you know, we were talked about on our Wait Until Dark thing, um, he goes from uh the victim to the victimizer. And we see that a lot. I mean, again, uh, um Mrs. Borden Don't Breathe. Or yeah, yeah, Mrs. Borden. Yeah. Yeah, and the blind man and don't breathe, they were done an in injustice and now they're also doing injustices um, because they feel like they're justified in it. Candyman feels like he has to keep his name alive. People have to know who he is, know his story. But to do that, he feels like he needs to kill innocent people. So he is a really complex character because he is a villain. Um, but he's also sympathetic. And I think those are the best. Those are the best type of of villains. I mean, what little we saw of Mrs. Voorhees, um, I've always thought was so brilliant. And we do we do sympathize a little bit more with with Mrs. Voorhees than than Jason. Maybe not
1: part two, Jason. But as Jason goes on, like part eight, we're not really about
0: Jason anymore.
1: Go back all the way to when we did like episode seven or something. We talked about Psycho. I mean, poor Norman Bates. Yeah. I mean, especially in Psycho 2, we feel for the guy. Yeah. And he wouldn't. I mean, Norman spoilers for Psycho 2, I
0: guess. Well, maybe I won't spoil it, but, but I'll just put it this way. He would have been fine if it weren't for those meddling people, you know, um, and it's yeah, it's de- it's definitely he's uh, a damaged you, person. Absolutely. So, yeah, I love that. I love how complex his character is. And and um, yeah, I think a lot of that has to also go credit to Tony Todd, who we'll talk about now, I guess.
1: Well, but first things first, I want to bring this up. OK, did they have to kill the Rottweiler?
0: No. Yeah, that's that. That is always it does add to the, the the horrifying nature of that scene, but um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess she has to have blood on her to look bad in that scene. I mean, if I guess she was just in the apartment, that wouldn't be grounds to assume that she kidnapped the kid. But once mm-hmm. you behead a
1: Rottweiler, then you're really looking crazy. Um, so Especially yeah, I, has, I used to own a Rottweiler. Well, yeah. we did. You were a baby at the time, but yeah. God bless Jerry the Rottweiler wherever he is. Um, I, yeah. I raised a, you and I and your mother raised a Rottweiler for many many months because we were, we used our house as an extension of the animal rescue, yeah. um, shelter, and so we would take in animals one at a time and, and have them sometimes for three months. And Jerry was the biggest Rottweiler I ever seen. Sweet sweet dog. I love Rottweilers. How mm-hmm. dare you, Bernard Rose? I feel like, ah, uh, honestly, that shot of the
0: of the Rottweiler's head is honestly harder to watch than the shot of the little kid's head in Hereditary. I'm like, I can deal with <laughs> with human heads beheaded, okay, but you you show me a Rottweiler head, you better cut away in a second, okay? Um, but they, they kind of hold on it.
1: Um, but uh, they yeah, do I, I think hold on it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's the thing is like, uh, listeners, if you're picking up, I mean, we don't believe that human beings are killed, but we we're both dog lovers. We don't like to see dogs killed,
0: right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and in, in movies you can show
0: people getting sliced and diced in every way imaginable, but leave the dogs out of it. That's why I don't feel sympathy towards Michael Myers. Okay, he yes. killed an a dog. So I'm gonna, I'm, 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 I think I'm, I'm more on. Um, more on Laurie's side in that movie. I don't sympathize with the killer, but uh, yeah. So so it does it does have a purpose in showing us that Candyman means business and he's going to frame Helen in whatever way he's going to break her and cut her off from everything she loves in whatever way necessary. He doesn't he doesn't take names. He he just does what he does. Um, and that's kind of the turning point where we realize how real this movie is. I mean we we'd heard about Ruthie Jean being murdered. Um, and obviously, I think at that point, she had had the run-in in the bathroom with that guy been hit over the head with the, with the fish hook. But um, that's where it really gets real, that scene, with the mom attacking her. It's just, it, it is really tough to watch. And then immediately cutting to her in prison. Um, its That's where the movie gets real. And I think that's where it really picks up. It goes from a slow burn to full psychological thriller with even, I will admit, slasher elements.
1: Yes, it's a slasher. But... Let's talk about the cast. Let's talk yes. with Virginia Madsen um, mm-hmm. as Helen. I, I personally have always been a fan of hers. Yeah. Um, she's Michael Madsen's sister, if you mm-hmm. know Reservoir Dogs and, and uh, Hateful Eight and so forth. Um, no stranger to horror, including Zombie High, which has the best worst ending theme song of all time, <laughs> Kiss My Butt, which you can look up on YouTube and I would encourage you to do this. But man, she's a trooper because she did this despite the fact she's allergic to bees.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's deathly allergic. I mean, paramedics were on the scene for yep. for the part where her hand was covered in bees. Um, yeah, so absolutely, she she is a trooper. And again, she was hypnotized for this movie. She stripped. Uh, covered in blood and, and dried cornstarch in that scene. She really wanted this movie to be made. She was willing to do anything for it. Um, and that shows, I mean, she's very dedicated. I've always also been a, f- a fan of Madsen. Um, you know, I love uh, David Lynch's Dune. I mean, she's only in that movie for like five minutes, but. Um, you do love Dune? I enjoy it. I'll put it that, I, I should have maybe clarified that. I enjoy David Lynch's Dune. All right. Yeah. Um, She's in the beginning. She narrates it. And then we see her at the very end for like one second. Uh, but uh, she does a fantastic job. I think that was her first big break, really. Um, David Lynch just kind of selected her out of a crowd. But
1: uh, Well, the yeah, funny I, story that Michael Madsen tells. Yeah. Um, I forget which podcast I was listening to him. And Michael Madsen, <clears throat> she wanted to be an actress from like the, as long as she could remember. Michael Madsen had no desire to be an actor. Michael Madsen goes to uh, an audition with a buddy just to support his buddy. He's not there for the audition. He ends up scoring a role in war games in the opening scene of war games. And Virginia gets the call that he's been cast in this movie. And she's like, uh, you want to tell me something, Bob? <laughs> she's trying to get in films and he gets it before she does. And he wasn't even trying, and she was furious. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. I, I think I have heard that story, and yeah, it's just that easy. Life is easy for Michael Madsen, I guess. Uh, but <laughs> but it's okay. Virginia Madsen eventually got her day. So, um, yeah, I, I love her in this movie. Helen is such an interesting character because um, she really does have an arc of basically just accepting yeah. that life is over for her. Uh, she just yeah. basically... She's she's got to all well, she cares she's willing about, to
1: sacrifice herself for the baby,
0: right? She all she cares about is saving the baby and wiping Candyman off the face of the earth. That's that's her goal by the end of the movie She doesn't care about saving face anymore. She doesn't care about getting back with Trevor. Thank God that guy is a, a real, that uh, guy real is a jack yeah. yeah, um so She doesn't she doesn't care anymore. She knows that nobody's ever gonna believe her She just has to do what she knows is right um so yeah, I, I love her character, and I love how it just starts out so simply. She's just a grad student doing a paper, but by the end of it, she's like become maybe the reincarnation of Candyman's past lover. Uh, with I, I think that's what the 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 painting at the end and the "It's always you, Helen" yeah. line is referring to. So she really was more connected to this than she than she realized. And that's another thing uh, that that Nia DaCosta's Candyman kind of brings back into the picture. It's these people are more connected than they realize. Um, so I. love I love that. I, I love how it unravels, and I, and I love her role in that. But uh, Tony Todd, he is Candyman.
1: All right, so let's go to it. We have to talk about the great Tony Todd as Candyman. A great, great actor. I think a criminally underrated actor. Um, I mean, he was in Platoon. He was in Savini's Night of the Living Dead, The Crow, The Rock, Final Destination movies, Hatchet movies. I think he's an amazing actor. Absolutely amazing. And do yourself a favor. Download the podcast of Eli Ross, History of Horror. Listen to his interview. It's fantastic. And he went above and beyond with this. With real bees. And was stung more than 20 some times. I've read anywhere from 23 to 26 times. And being the smart man he is. He was like, you're going to have to pay me $1,000 for every sting. So he got a bonus of twenty-three to twenty-six thousand dollars for every sting. But he is incredible, is he not?
0: Oh yeah, he's he's fantastic, and I love Tony Todd as well. Um, one of the finest. I would I want to say character actor, but I do think he has some range. Um, I think he, oh, he, he has a lot of range. Yeah, obviously he is. He's sort of the 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 center of this whole movie, but usually he's delegated to just being that guy that looks imposing. You know, I mean, he's in he's in The Crow, he's in Hellfest as the the kind of yeah. stage presenter guy, um, but he's also
1: he, a great kind of hero for most of Night of the Living Dead from nineteen ninety. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. So yeah, he he has range. Um, I absolutely. wish you would get more work. 100%. He. he
1: he is mostly delegated to horror movies and which is a shame because the guy can do anything. He's done plays. He's done. Mm -hmm. The guy can do anything. He can do anything. You could, you could cast him as an action, you know, hero, or you could cast him as Hannibal Lecter. He can do anything in between. And, and, and watching what he's done in like the hatchet movies, you could put him in a comedy. Right. I mean, you know, the guy is just a great actor, period. Yeah. I don't I know he's six foot five and he's got this really deep voice. So you want to stereotype him as an imposing figure. But the simple fact is, I think the guy can do anything, yeah.
0: I agree, and he's so entertaining in interviews. He just seems like a really great guy, yeah. Um, who really cares about the character as well? I mean, he's been involved with the Candyman character through through it all. I mean, he was in Candyman three for crying out loud, but he was and also in, we'll go
1: ahead. Spoiler alert: Candyman twenty one. Right, he was yeah. very
0: very involved in, in Candyman twenty twenty one. I mean, he was talking about it years before it was it was even it, it even came out. I mean, before you even know it. it was coming out. Yeah, he's in it. Yes. So, um, yeah, Tony Todd, fantastic. I I love him in this movie. Um, He's just so iconic without even having to try. It seems so effortless for him. His presence. He's one of those people where it's like Vincent Price, you know, his theatrical presence is enough to
1: carry a movie. Just him being in a movie elevates it. He has whatever it is he has. I mean, yeah. he's one of those guys, he walks into a room, everyone notices. <laughs> right, well, you, it's hard to, to not notice him. Uh, but, well, but uh, he's just got, not just because of his size, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. six foot five. but he's just, the way he carries himself and everything, and, and he decided, I mean, he gave himself a backstory with this, mm-hmm. he decided to play it romantic, and... And I think he pulled it off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, his devotion to the character definitely, definitely shows. He was he was very passionate about this project. Um, and yeah, I feel for him too because I feel like um, he put a lot into it, and the producers were just not not liking just not liking the interracial overtones. Um, they oh, they were fine with him. He I was listening to an interview of him. and He said he that the producers the the production company or whatever the the, the higher ups were fine with. Him being a villain as a black man, but him being a romantic lead, someone who's charming and oh, that you sympathize with. On.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> he was actively, he was fighting uphill. Give me a really. break. Tony Todd could play Hamlet. Tony Todd yeah. could play anything. Give yeah. me a break. And speaking of Hamlet, I mean, sweets to the sweet. Yeah, uh, exactly. This, a lot of Shakespearean a, lines in here, which Clive Barker is a big Shakespeare fan.
0: Right, because it's it is a very theatrical movie. I, I, you know, I can see a stage play version of this of this being made. I Ooh. can just imagine how awesome the Cabrini Green sets will be. But it is very theatrical, and Tony Todd plays it that way. I mean, with his voice, he is playing to the to the to the back of the of the theater. Um,
1: well, he was that, blessed with a voice where he could do that. Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: He doesn't need a rest,
1: microphone. No, the rest of the cast has fairly minor roles, but I do mm-hmm. love Casey Lemons as Bernadette. Yeah. And Vanessa Williams as Anna Marie McCoy, the young actor who plays Jake, they're all solid. This is a solid, supported cast.
0: Yeah, this is a yeah, very well cast movie. Everyone feels very real. They feel like real people, um, especially, yeah, the, Vanessa Williams as, as the mother in Cabrini Green, just trying to raise her baby. Um, uh, yeah, she, she's just fantastic. You really feel for her. And even when she's attacking Helen and you're like, no, Candyman did it. You know, Helen didn't do it. You understand why she thinks that oh, Helen yeah. did, and and her her, I mean, her, just her her shrieks and her fighting with all of her force, and she's she's tiny. I mean, she's she's a little lady, but you really believe that she could beat you but up. She you um, co-
1: yeah, you, she comes across as a strong person. Absolutely, really, and, really strong, and strong having her million- Rottweiler.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Having her rottweiler doesn't hurt. When she when when uh, Helen's trying to take a picture of the graffiti and she opens the door with the rottweiler, and then closes it, like, yeah, I said that. I love that. I love that uh I love that part. Yeah, she she's fantastic. And yeah, the little boy too, absolutely. Um, I love him. I love his his uh the, his dialogue with Helen. Um Candyman will get me. I mean you, you used to so and uh, even though he did, he uh may or may not have led to Helen's death inadvertently when he's like burn them and he, he throws the the pot the torch under yeah. the pyre he didn't know he's just he's he's just trying to help
1: um he's a kid now, right right yeah and he's he, a kid he, who's bought into the mythology which actually turns out to be true yeah and he knows better than everyone else he knows that candyman will get you right exactly um let's talk about Bernard Rose or sure. a solid director who's worked steadily for decades but this is his masterpiece in my opinion it is so beautifully shot and paced amazing your thoughts uh
0: yeah i I love the directing of this i I think it it looks fantastic and a lot of that can go to the cinematographer i don't know who did i don't know if he shot this this thing i'm assuming he had a cinematographer but um yeah bernard rose is is a name i've i've heard a lot um Honestly, I think this is the only, the only movie I've seen. I've heard of Paper House, um, definitely heard of, of Paper House, mm-hmm. um, but I don't remember if they've seen that or not. But yeah, I love Candyman. This is, this is just a, fan, a fantastic-looking movie. Um, like I said earlier, so elegant, so grounded, so gritty, um, but it does have like a theatrical feeling to it. It really does feel epic in scale, um, which is weird because it pretty much just takes place in this one section of Chicago, but it feels grand. Um, so well, yeah, he
1: is the, the of- cinematographer was Anthony B. Richmond, who also shot don't look now. And the okay. David Bowie movie, the man who fell to earth. Right. He And he also shot, um, tales from the hood, cherry falls and legally blonde. He's done, he's okay. done a lot of stuff, but I think the cinematography here is just gorgeous.
0: Yeah. And there's a connection t- to Tony Todd tales from the hood, but, um, but, uh, yeah I tales yeah. From the hood? editor jackson here um i'm i'm hiding from candyman right now and i just wanted to tell you that tony todd was not in tales from the hood he was in tales from the hood three from last year uh, which i watched and um uh, it was okay anyways back to the podcast i'm pretty sure i think he is
1: oh um, i didn't i didn't remember that it's been a long time since i've seen tales from the hood but mm-hmm. I did um, I'm not
0: talking about. I'm not talking about Leprechaun. Back to the Hood, by the way, just to be clear, because there are some people who get that confused. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I love the way this movie looks. Um, I love the way the the sequel looks to the the new sequel 2021 we'll talk about that um, but yeah Candyman is just it just opens up such a it's like Nightmare on Elm Street in a way the fact that Candyman is so unrestricted in what he can do he really is this biblical character he has powers that we can't even like we don't even see all of them um, it opens up so many cool ideas for kills and, and sequences and of course you know that scene where, he, where he's spinning with with Helen just fantastic visually, the editing yeah. of that. Yeah, this is this is the wonder. And Bernard, is it Bernard Rose or Bernard Rose? I heard Virginia Madsen calling him Bernard, like pronouncing it.
1: Well, he's British, so it's probably Bernard. Yeah,
0: Bernard. Um, but yeah, by all accounts, you know, fantastic guy, great director. It seems like he cared about getting the best out of his actors, but um, he didn't want to make it a evil dead situation where they're all living in a cabin and they're all very uncomfortable. Although he did pay off real gangs uh, <laughs> to appear in he the movie. Uh, so he not really uncommon,
1: cared- though. Not uncommon.
0: Right. I mean, if you're shooting in Cabrini-Green, if you're shooting in Chicago, I guess you kind of have to work around that. And he won that. Like,
1: Walter Hill did that with the Warriors. There have been yeah. many, many films where people have paid off gangs or put them in the movie so that they would pr- provide protection and make sure that nothing happens. So, All right. Yeah. We which which, to, which
0: go ahead. sometimes goes bad. I mean, we, there are lots of concerts where you, you hire biker gangs and that never goes well. Well,
1: yeah, it didn't go well for the Stones and the Hells Angels. But yeah. anyway. We have to talk about Philip Glass's score, which yes. I think is incredible. Is it not?
0: Yeah, one of one of the, the best scores of probably the best score of the 90s. I'm trying to think of something that's better, but I just love especially like uh, I love the intro credits theme. I love that, like the organ and the and the choral voices um, with the shots of Chicago from from overhead. But um, my favorite, and I think everyone can agree on this pretty much, is the Helen theme. You know, the 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 piano. It, it it's always um, been you, Helen. That I think is the name of the of the track. Fantastic. I mean, it's 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 so iconic with with just those those piano notes. Um, I I love it. And yeah, it is a fantastic score. I hear that Philip Glass wasn't the biggest fan of the movie. Maybe that was just rumors. I read that as well, yeah. Yeah, which is so weird because his score is used so effectively in it. I don't know how he could watch it and not see that. Maybe he was envisioning something different um, with the final edit of the movie. I have no idea. Um, But uh, he does a fantastic job. Whether he likes the movie or not, you can tell he put 110% into it. Um, He wasn't just there for a paycheck. He really did. And there's so many horror movies, especially from the 90s, where the soundtrack is just incidental they don't really care about like the, the the melody of it just so long as something's happening in the background so long as it isn't dead silence they don't care but in this one they it feels like a classical score it really does yeah. it feels like they put a lot of in- attention Agreed. into it um and I, also i love the, the music box version of the Candyman man which is on the soundtrack oh uh, um, yeah so yeah Philip glass fantastic composer um regardless of if he's he's wrong about candy not liking candy man if he doesn't like candy man he's wrong um yep. but his score definitely definitely elevates it and is part of the reason it's so great
1: i agree so what else do you want to talk about before we move on to our ratings and recommendation and then Candyman 2021 um something that hit me when I was
0: watching, because I I ended up watching the the first film before uh, the the 2021 movie, even though I posted a poll on Twitter, and the actual like clicks on the poll, um, the people sat, saw the general consensus was. Rewatch the first one before watching the new one, but all of the comments, all the replies from people like horror fans that I actually respected that we had on the show, were all saying I would go in fresh and rewatch the 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 um the original movie afterwards. Oh, interesting. Um, so I I, I did end up, end up doing that. I watched uh, 1992 after 2021, and I'm I'm glad I did um, because I'd obviously seen 1992 before, um and uh, so i I need, yeah, I think it it helped. Um, but something that really hit me is that candyman twenty twenty one it was like ninety one minutes or something. it was it it seems really, really short. yeah, I seem to remember the original Candyman being much longer. I thought it was like two hours. It's only a few <laughs> minutes longer. It's really not that long, right. but since it has that slow burn pace in the first act and a half, it does feel longer. And I kind of like that. This 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 um, this time around, that that atmosphere. Um, I think I think really helped my viewing experience, even though it's less flashy less biting than the new one, perhaps. Um, I, I love the original pace. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a die-hard fan of slow burn uh, thrillers. I think that in, in uh, recent years, we've maybe gotten too many of those, like some movies that could be more concise have been slow burn because they think it makes them more artsy, more, more um, uh, available for Academy Awards, basically. If you take a movie, no matter how simple it is, if you stretch it out and really just make it about human suffering, then it's good, right? Um, but mm-hmm. this this one proves that there is some merit to making you wait for it, making you wait for the payoff. Um, Candyman isn't in there. I mean, we get flashes of him in an urban legend. That may or may not be true. But Candyman in his true form doesn't show up, like you said, until 45 minutes in. And when he does, it's so satisfying because we've been leading up to this. We with Helen have learned so much about this character so that by the time we finally meet him, we think we know him, and then even more is revealed. I love that that framing device there. I love the way that that's written. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. So I, Candyman, nineteen ninety two, um, one of my favorites of, of the decade. Um, and uh, but before we move on to to Candyman twenty twenty one, unless you have something else to say, would would we want to rate it before we get to yes. Candyman twenty twenty
1: one? Let's go ahead and rate it. So okay. all right. So I'll go first. I give this a 10 out of 10. Wow. It's one of my favorite horror movies of the 90s. Definitely mm-hmm. in the top 10, maybe in the top five. Right yeah. up there with uh, uh, si- Scream, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, Jurassic Park. Uh, um, Jurassic Park, Misery. Mm-hmm. It's right up there. Uh, the Frighteners from Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah. I, I say it's definitely a buy. I own the Shout Factory Blu-ray. You should definitely own it.
0: Yeah, I own it on, on Blu-ray as well. I don't have the Blu-ray with me right now, but thankfully I had a digital code. Um, I would give it a 9 out of 10. Um, the okay. only thing that's that's keeping it back is, like I said, I haven't... Um, I I think it needs some time um, bef- between watching it. You can't just endlessly rewatch this this movie. Um, it definitely needs some time. And I also noticed on this most recent rewatch, especially compared to the Nia da Costa one, there are a lot of like false jump scares in this movie. Like there are lots of like Helen tapping Bernadette on the shoulder, and she's like, "Oh," you know, lots of that that I don't really care for. Um, or or like I actually like the Rottweiler jump scare, but there are lots of ones like that where there are jump scares that aren't real threats. They're just there to like startle
1: the the. The, um, the viewer um, and to, Ber- I, to Bernard Rose's character though there is no screeching cat.
0: There is no screeching cat. There's no ball hitting a window. Right, yeah, I will yeah. <laughs> that that I will say that much. But there are a few like just false jump scares, which I'm not really a fan of. Um, and again, it's it, it is a slow burn mystery thing. You need some time between watching it and rewatching it. So I'd say a nine out of ten is definitely a a buy, and it's in my top ten of the '90s. Um, yeah, so I I. I would say hold off if you haven't seen Candyman 2021 yet and you're waiting for a spoiler-free review. Let me just say this really quick. Like I said earlier, hold off on rewatching watching it. If you, if you haven't seen it before, definitely you need to see Candyman 1992 to yes. know what's going on because it is a continuing story. You'll be And lost. it is
1: on – right now it's on Peacock. Yeah, streaming on there with yeah. ads, but you can watch it there. So sure. it's streaming it's right it. now, yeah. Yeah, so I would say if you've never
0: seen it before, definitely rewatch it or or watch it for the first time before the new movie. But if you've seen it and you kind of remember how it goes, I would say hold off. Uh, and rewatch it afterwards if you so desire, um, because I think it, I think it does definitely benefit the experience because you're you're now experiencing a fresh a filmmaker's fresh view on the franchise like 30 years later. Um, so I think it definitely helps to to go in a little bit fresh. But yeah, nine out of ten for the original Candyman, and now we're going to do our spoiler free review of Candyman 2021.
1: Right, we'll do a spoiler free review and then we'll go into spoilers real quickly. Yeah. But. All right. Candyman 2021. We know a lot of you may not have seen this yet. Some of you are still in lockdown. So we're going to talk about this in general. Then we'll give you a heads up and a countdown before we move into spoiler territory. So if you're on a treadmill or walking or whatever, you have time to pause. The IMDb synopsis reads, a sequel to the horror film Candyman 1992 that returns to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. Jackson, what are your general thoughts? Thirty thousand feet on Candyman, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um, well, again, I thought I went in cold. I thought it was a
0: remake uh, going in. I didn't read the IMDb summary. Maybe it's always said sequel, but I remember at some points it being wh- there being whisperings that it would just be a remake um, of the of the same story, and that Yahya Abdul Mateen would play Candyman, um, which is. Technically true. Part of that is technically true, but it's not presented in the way you'd expect. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a sequel, but not a direct sequel, I would say. It's a sequel that kind of reinvents the mythos of, of uh, Candyman to a certain degree. And we'll talk about that more in our spoiler talk, but for now I'll say this, okay? It's a, it's a sequel, but the character we know as Candyman has been really, like, fundamentally altered. In uh, an interesting way, that, that I think some people will love it and some people will hate it, um, depending on, on what you think of the first movie really? coming from. I do think that this will okay. rile some people up. Um. But okay, let me say. Just talking generally, spoiler free. Spoiler free movie was was gorgeous. I mean, visually, it was, yes. it was a treat. Those shadow puppet animations that recap—they oh. recap the public's perception of the first film's events, not necessarily not necessarily what happened, but the public's perception of what happened. And then they also close out. Well, the film it kind of goes events.
1: back to what we were talking about earlier: what is yeah. fact and what is myth.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And because the events of the first film have now, be- now become their own urban legend. Yeah. Um, we'll talk and, about
1: one aspect here in a minute that talks about I, snow angels that is not in yeah. the original film. Yeah. But yeah, anyway.
0: um, but, uh, yeah I that, that struck me, too. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. But yeah. Um, yeah, Helen Lyle has become just like Candyman now, an, a figure of urban legend. Um, there are facts about her, obviously, just the way that there was with Ruthie Jean. You know, um, mm-hmm. we have Helen in the first movie, you know, with the microfiche looking at newspapers about Ruthie Jean. But now she's much the same. There's a lot. There's lots of fake news about Helen Helen Lyle, um, and our main character Anthony, um, as I said, played by. I, I get nervous every single time I try to I try to pronounce his name. But Yah Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. Um, which I had seen in other things. Yeah. I, 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 where do I recognize him from? He He definitely seemed like I had seen him in something before Aquaman. That's right. He's the, he's the villain in Aquaman. Yep. Um, I would say this is a little bit more prestigious than that, <laughs> but,
1: um, um, Oh, Aquaman's fine. But I, yeah. I think we can both agree. He is fantastic in this. He is. He is a fantastic lead. Um,
0: and it's his job basically. Um, he is an artist. He's a, he's a painter. Um, and in doing research, he's trying to get inspiration for his next, uh, set of paintings because, uh, his girlfriend, um, is going to open an art exhibit and he's trying to have more, more paintings to fill because he hasn't painted in a long time. Candyman sticks out to him, so he's doing research on Candyman, and he's digging through um all of the fact and fiction getting down to the facts to try to figure out what actually happened back in 1992 um and I, um and i because it definitely feels like candy original he's digging through all the urban legends and he finds helen lyle's uh cassette recorder right um, and we actually get the return of Virginia Madsen with new lines. You can tell it's not uh it's not Helen from the first movie because her voice has aged, you can hear in the in the recording. So you can tell that it's her coming back, you know, 30 years later to re-record to to record new lines. I,
1: I actually didn't notice that, but I I mean I did know it was obviously new recording. I didn't notice that her voice had aged. But I I, you know, let me just say Yeah. Um I love this movie. Yeah uh Nia DaCosta any chance you or anyone else is listening to this ever you nailed it if I could buy stock in future filmmakers (laughs) give me thousands of shares of Nia DaCosta Mm -hmm. beautifully filmed well paced well acted a timely theme that doesn't beat you over the head Mm -hmm. I frigging loved this movie
0: yeah, yeah, I and I, you've called it before with filmmakers. I mean, you were quick to jump on Jordan Peele and Robert Eggers. I mean, you, you have called in the past the right. An yeah, and Ari Master,
1: yeah, fanboys her, of all right.
0: of them, yep. So, um, so that I, I am interested to see where her career
1: goes. I'd never seen anything from her before, but um, I had either. But man, I was blown away. Yeah, there's a shot we'll get to here in a minute. Where mm-hmm. she's pulling away from a high yes. rise. Yes, the. I, oh I know exactly what you're talking about. Gosh, that's incredible. That's yes. an incredible shot. Mm-hmm. Nia Dacosta, I salute you.
0: Yeah. So I was I was looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this movie for a long time because originally I had heard that it would be directed by Jordan Peele. That would, those were the rumblings back in like 2019 right. or whatever. Um, but it, it turns out he's just a producer on it. Now we know it's because he's working. Well, on and he his co-wrote text. screenplay nope. too. Right. He, he co-wrote it with um, Wynn Rosenfeld Costa and, 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 yep. and Nia DaCosta. Um, but now we know the reason, one of the reasons he didn't direct it is because he's working on Nope now, again, with Daniel Kaluuya. Um, so he's Which busy. I
1: but I cannot wait for.
0: Yeah, same here. But, um, yeah, so... I was a little weary going in. I didn't watch any trailers or anything. I had no idea because I thought it was a remake again. So I thought it was a remake. And as much as I love Jordan Peele's directorial efforts, some of the things he's produced, he hasn't been super involved in, like the Twilight Zone show. I think there were a couple fantastic episodes from that and a couple of really lackluster ones. And that's just because he wasn't directly involved in a creative standpoint. He was there to to promote it. He
1: was there. He did the Rod Serling thing from Night Gallery. And Night Gallery... After Twilight Zone, they paid basically Rod Serling to come and introduce things. And they basically did the same with Jordan Peele. I agree with you. There were a couple episodes of twilight zone that I was blown away by. The yeah, new twilight and we zone. watched, I remember when you first
0: got CBS all access, we were watching twilight zone together. We watched yep. the episode, um, about the aliens, you know, and the Alaskan, uh, outpoint and everything. I remember, I remember really enjoying those first couple episodes. And, and of course the remake of that classic gremlin on the wing, um, type yeah. thing, that was really fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it dwindled, it definitely dwindled and interesting.
1: It, it did wow. but I, I I think that but I don't want to yeah, Jordan Peel produced this. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peel co wrote the screenplay. Right. He's but obviously not, a big fan is, of the original. It is not right. his vision. It is we need right. to make it clear. This is Nia Da Costa. And Nia Costa does a brilliant, brilliant job. I, I just I am so impressed. I cannot wait to see what she does next. Yeah. And I I, I mean
0: um. Yeah, I I love. Technically, I think this is a, definitely a theater movie. Um, if you can't get out of yes, lockdown, please. I would say you gotta see this on the big screen. I would say okay. If if you can't watch it at all, if you're still in lockdown or if you're mm-hmm. immunocompromised and you really want to see it before everything gets spoiled for you. I can understand um, renting it now or Premier access now, watching it on your TV, try to watch it, you know, the best, the best you can alone with good sound or whatever, as best as you can. But I would say eventually, uh, whenever you feel comfortable, definitely see it on the big screen, whether it's in like a dollar theater when it comes back or something, um, because the sound design was, was, was just fantastic oh, and, and, and watching it on the big screen. I watched it on can... the big screen, opening night, first showing, and yep. uh, it was, it was fantastic. This this is this is a theater movie um and uh yeah so so definitely do that if you're if you're able but again don't don't put yourself at risk
1: yeah i saw this friday at a one thirty matinee there were only four other people in the theater and we were all like 20 feet apart um but I, man was i blown away and it's the first time i've been in a indoor theater since the pandemic began yeah because I was this excited to see this movie. I mean, you and I have been to the drive-in together with Joe Bob, but (laughs) this was... And you've been to the theater, and I know you said that like, you went to see like Scream and all that kind of stuff on the theater, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't many people around, and you felt pretty safe. I felt the same, because there were only, like I said, four other people in a theater that seats 250. So it was like, yeah, I'm good. And I sat well away from them, but man, I was blown away by this. And it is just... And I avoided all of the um, trailers i actually walked into the theater at 135 it was at 130 so i caught like the last three seconds of the trailer for uh one night in soho or last night yeah. in Soho, and yeah. so um i got to miss all the other trailers and just sat down and watched <laughs> this and it was incredible technically it is brilliant they do a lot of things with the mythology you can tell that Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele. Everyone else. They really thought through this. Like mm. the top, where did the name Candyman come from? Sure, yeah, that's but a brilliant storyline. I thought they
0: definitely expand on that. I mean, we get that visual in the first Candyman movie with the razor blades and the candy. Right. But now that's really expanded on with Sherman's character. We really understand why he was called that. Because I did wonder that. Um, maybe the, the short story, the original short story, because the character was called Candyman back then. Yeah. Maybe it explains it a little bit better. But definitely the 1992 film, we get that one visual and then not much else. Maybe he should have been called B-Man. I'm not really sure why they called him Candyman. Yeah. But, but in this movie, we understand with, with Sherman Field's story why he was called Candyman. So, um, yeah. yeah, I I absolutely... I, yeah I, The, the Theater, it was the opening night first showing, but there were only five people in my in my um theater. We masked it up until we sat down in our seats. And um yeah, I, I absolutely loved this this theater experience. Um, because even though there were so few people in there, the energy was electric. You could tell that people were were just ready to to experience it. Um and another thing I I wanna just, I guess it segues into it. This movie is scarier. Maybe again, I should put it another way. I referenced this earlier. It's less scary, maybe more disturbing. Okay, you're gonna wince at some point in this movie because I thought it was scary,
1: and I thought it. And there's a lot of gore
0: yes which is what i'm gonna it, she she isn't afraid to show you imagery that will make you uncomfortable like whether yep. that be gooey or gory stuff like we get a lot of that um there's a bee sting that becomes more of a pustule oh and that,
1: my lord oh yeah that
0: that oh. all that body horror stuff because that's what it
1: is it's body horror um that part just, of it is that part is body yeah, horror just But there are terrible. other parts where it's just where people are getting ripped apart and you're just like, oh, 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 when there's a scene so, in a bathroom and I
0: mean, it's yeah. just it's so wow. frank with yeah. with the violence. It doesn't do the thing that I was afraid it would do, which is Nia DaCosta of, don't play. Right. It has. She, she brings well. it. Yeah. First of all, it has less jump scares than the first movie, which is crazy that a movie from 2021 has less jump scares than a movie from 1992. And I really enjoy that. There's one notable jump scare we have in that hallway with her flashlight on. um, And I thought that was kind of meh. But for the majority of it, we see the gore. Um, And like you said, in wide shots, which is what makes it so disturbing. I mean, We have that that part, as you said, with the apartments we won't fully spoil what's going on in that scene, but there is a wide shot of apartments and I love the way that shot is framed like it's just one little window and it's like other people are living their lives. They have no idea what's going on. I just I love the way it's depicted that way. It, it shows um, violence, gory horror movie violence. And even, and this is where I think that um, it will definitely make people uncomfortable. Some people won't even be able to hand it, handle it. It definitely shows frank depictions of racism that that will make you uncomfortable. It doesn't shy away from showing oh, you man. injustice and unjust violence in a way that makes it obvious why people are, are
1: angry about it. So, um, again. The, yeah, this is a, once again, and. Right. You know, like like I said, I'm not taking anything away from Nia DaCosta because I, I will just say, man, oh, man, she just she shot the crap out of this. Whatever she had to do with the screenplay, she did a great job. Yeah. She is a talented filmmaker. Um, but Jordan Peele was involved and Jordan Peele has a reputation of, you know, Carrying out a theme without beating you over the head with it, mm-hmm. in, in a very subtle way, and I think that this was another example of that. And I loved the screenplay, and I, I just absolutely loved it. And all right, shall we move into spoilers so we can really dig into this for? I think we should. I obviously we re-
0: we both recommend it. If you haven't, if you haven't, uh, if you're holding off on it, we both recommend it. Definitely see it as soon as you, you can. If you can see
1: it in a theater, go. Yeah.
0: Um if you can't I
1: can't see it anyway, but try to see it in a theater. If yeah. you're worried about breakthrough viruses and all that kind of stuff, which I get, yeah. Go to a matinee, you know, mm-hmm. go when there's not a lot of people there, but man, you gotta see this movie. All yeah. right. And so. and
0: we're not we're not gonna rate it until we get into our spoilers because I think there's more stuff that will contribute yes. to our ratings and make our ratings make more sense in spoilers. Yes. So for now we're just gonna recommend it and then we're gonna yes. move into spoilers.
1: All right, so folks, listeners, for those of you who haven't seen Candyman 2021, we recommend that you pause at this point, come back at a later point. For those of you who have seen it, here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. The art critic shot where she gets sliced by Candyman (laughs) in front of the window is incredible.
0: Yes, that is that has got to be my favorite shot in the movie. I loved that. Wow. Just in that whole sequence. I mean, leading up to that, first of all, um. We we already kind of don't like that that our critic lady because when she's at, oh, she's uh, the, a snobby jerk. Yeah, and and we think she's racist, but then she clarifies that she just hates artists, even though she's a critic. So what's her? I guess that's why she became a critic, uh-huh. but. Um, but, yeah, and then it seems like as soon as, as um, Anthony's gotten some attention, now she wants to jump on the train and do a story about him. Ah, okay, so now she's she likes his piece. She's not right? just
1: an opportunist, yeah.
0: Right. Um, and then we get the shot I love and, and another one of my favorite shots when Anthony is, is looking in the mirror, and he sees Sherman Fields looking back at him. Uh-huh. He sees Candyman looking back at him, and it's him. Is that foreshadowing or what? I mean, like, that is oh, that is fantastic absolutely. and so scary. I, I was just waiting for something to happen. I was like, and then when um, the art credit comes out of the bathroom and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess there's not going to be a, a scare there. We see Sherman in the bathroom behind her. And I'm like, oh, oh, he's going to kill her now. And then, no. No. And then he just leaves, and then we get a wide shot, and we're like, okay, well, I guess she's just walking around her apartment. Oh, up in the air she goes, oh. flying around. I don't even know how they did that. I mean, I, I guess she must have been on a rig, but it looks so good. And then she's smeared against the, her window pane with the oh. blue smear. Just All brutal. the while, it's a
1: tracking shot backwards, right? And it's just yeah. like, oh, man. It's like, yeah, it yeah. was like – it's so well played. Mm-hmm. Nia DeCosta played the audience like a piano. There, it's Hitchcockian. Yeah. You're you're yeah. thinking, okay, this is this is over. Maybe it'll come back later. I was sitting there thinking, oh well, maybe he'll turn into Candyman. He'll come after her. No, right. boom. Yeah. You know, Candyman is throwing her against the window like Freddy Krueger. She's getting yeah. it. it's like from Nightmare on Elm Street, which I yeah, know yeah, George loves. It's oh, definitely man, like that. Man, it is brutal and it is great. It is just such a well shot scene. And there's yeah. so many here. I mean, you know, I, there are times when we know where the kill is coming. Like in the art gallery after you know, he's got our our protagonist has gotten drunk and he's he's cussed people out and he's being kind of a jerk because he's drunk and he's he's you know, he's hurt and and so they leave and so you've got the two white people who are walking around talking about it and she's quoting Joy Division and all that kind of stuff. I then her (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And
0: then boom, and you know they were both gonna be killed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that guy was just like, as soon as he says he's out of the show, you're like, he's gonna kick Anthony out of the out of. He's like, that's why you don't you don't uh, uh, do business with the person you sleep with or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're like, this guy is just a jerk. Holy crap. And then, yeah, the shot with with the girl when she has her throat sliced open, and he's like, "Is this a joke? Is this a joke?" And then you see the gore right up close. You're like, "Oh my gosh, that is just brutal." And he's hooked to her. So he's just trying to get and that that I honestly, there is a part of that scene that I do have a problem with, and I'll talk about that later. Right. But I love the gore in that part. And I love Candyman. when he's you only see him in the reflections, he hooks his hook into the into the projector screen, and he's tearing along it. And you don't see the hook in the real world. You see the hook in the reflection, but in the real world world, the projector screen is just ripping itself in two. It's such a cool visual. And then yeah, when when uh, when the girl comes in the next day and finds them, yeah, just just horrific. Um, I, I love the kill scenes in this. Um, the thing is, they all are really, really gory and and they're they're definitely horror movie scenes but none of them really feel maybe with the exception of that art critic of not the art critic with the exception of the guy in the in the art exhibit not gratifying not not um satisfying what? because it it shows violence so frankly it's like death no matter what it is and i'm thinking especially of um william the laundromat guy the thing that happens between him, you know, where he's, well, I guess this is spoilers. So I can just, I can just say it now. Yeah. When Brianna sure. stabs him over and over and over again. You're oh, like, I
1: thought that was brutal.
0: Yeah, it is brutal, but it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like she's like, like that's a, that's a great moment for her because she's killing someone, you know, it's, it's violence, no matter what violence is. And I think that's a, the the real point is that no matter where violence is coming from, violence is bad, you know, uh, it's
1: just it. It is really. Well, strange. I think it's it, it, it sure. precipitates that thing. I mean, here's the thing. This is a very complicated movie. I think some people are going to walk into out of this movie, and think that the entire theme of the movie is kill white people. Yeah. That white people create ghettos, then they come in and buy it up when the land is worth nothing, and then they build condos. And they could care less about the people, just kill them. Mm-hmm. But the dry clean owner, yeah. Saul, we'll get to how may got his name here in a minute, you know, who witnessed all of that. Yeah. First of all, he's a traumatized human being
0: mm-hmm.
1: who obviously feels guilty. And it, again, it goes back to the trope. It's the victim who becomes the victimizer. Right. Absolutely. He, he is, wants to bring Candyman in. He wants these white people to die. He's not portrayed sympathetically. No. He, yeah. He, and that, yeah, he was, I mean, we opened the movie on him. Um, yeah. And,
0: we think uh, he's yeah.
1: sympathetic until the twist when we realize he's been trying to bring Candyman back all the time. Mm-hmm. And we also learned that there's not one Candyman right which is something i want to talk about now that we're in spoilers um this
0: is i kind of hinted at this earlier Candyman is no longer just daniel Robotai. he's right. also he's sherman fields the real you know the candy man uh, and then later again spoiler alert he's anthony mccoy um candy isn't an and individual; he's more others. like a, the
1: dry cleaner lists off right. like five or six of them and the point right. of that is that you know the whole thing is if a tragedy and this this is this is a movie trope, this is in The Crow*. This is, that if something horrible happens, it kind of leaves a stain, yeah. which you can't erase. And so and and the fact that what I think Nia Costa is doing is saying that, you know, that African-Americans have been treated so badly for so long, even in this one concentrated area. There have been several candy men because there have been several uh, tragedies mm-hmm. where they have been treated so poorly. And we learned that in the 1970s, this guy who is just apparently a likable guy who's lost a hand. And I used to see these with people who had who had kind of claw hands which you would use to grasp things and that kind of right. stuff and, and especially i mean if it, it, it's
0: obvious that he wasn't given the medical attention that he really deserved no, because no. he was low okay. income and yep. because probably because in the 70s he was black um they just didn't care they're like here's a hook you know instead of giving him a real prosthetic right. and, that and he, he turns deserved. out
1: he seems to be a really nice guy he actually right. just they call he him the man Right. because he just likes giving candy to children. There's no implication yeah. that he's a child molester or a creeper or anything. He's right. just a guy who just loves children. I grew up with that. I grew up in a church where there were old ladies and old men who just carried hard candy around. And go, Oh, you're so cute. Here's a candy. And they pat you on the head and walk on. And that's it. You know, they never tried anything. They weren't creepers. You don't have to go, you know, dateline on this stuff. They, and it turns out that As soon as because he had the reputation as the candy man giving out candy to everyone and that candy starts to turn up. And and this may be Jordan Peele's throwback to Halloween, too, with razor blades in the candy. Well, they just assume it's him. He goes hiding because he's afraid of the police and the police find him. They beat him to death, you know, before he's ever arraigned, not read his rights, nothing. He's beaten to death. And it turns out a couple weeks later, more razor blades show up, which means he's innocent. And so his spirit starts to turn up as one of the Candyman, but he's not the only one. There have been all of these Candyman, which I thought was really interesting. You yeah. disagree? No, I,
0: I do think it's interesting. And this is the thing I was talking about earlier where it's a love it or hate it kind of thing. Because I do think there are people that won't feel that way. I have a um, – I, okay, I, I want to d- dive into this. As you said, you know, Candyman isn't one person. He isn't Daniel Robitaille, just Robitaille anymore. He is – Dan wrote the tie. That is a story, but um, he's basically he is a, a collective. He's a he's a concept. He's like the direct result of injustice. He's like the crow, basically. Yes. Um, uh, a little bit more villainous maybe than the crow. Um, but regardless, he is. But he's,
1: you're he's, sympathetic, right? still Because yeah. there is a couple scenes we can talk about, but essentially, the people that Candyman in this movie, whichever Candyman it is, is killing. Hmm you kind of think deserve to be killed yeah. from a film perspective not yeah. in real life but from a film perspective these characters deserve to be killed
0: right i'm okay so I, I i love the concept i love the idea of that but then again after rewatching the the 1992 movie i'm honestly not ha- sure how i feel about that from the perspective of daniel Robotai's character and his like his uniqueness i, I okay let's dive in like a I've been beating around the bush here. Like on one hand, I love the ending. I love, I love Anthony coming back as Candyman. Um, and I'd killing a when, bunch
1: of racist cops.
0: Right when Brianna's is in the the uh, the uh, police car, and yes. the cop is trying to convince her to lie yeah. and say that it was self defense,
1: um, uh, or otherwise he's going to charge her as a as a, um, you know, as an accomplice, a, he, as accomplice, right. and so she just asks, "Can I look in the mirror?" And he's like, "What? Yeah. Can I just look in the mirror, and I'll tell you." What? And he, she conjures Candyman, and her ex-fiance shows up and just slaughters <laughs> all of these racist, crooked cops. I loved that. And then she walks around and she sees Candyman, but it's not her fiance. Who is it? Tony Todd. It's it's, it's Daniel. It's Tony Robotai. Todd. Well, yes. It's
0: several people actually, because also she looks in the reflection of the cop car and she sees several faces. Yeah. Um. Or it's like you see when Candyman's walking around the car, you see a reflection of him. It's several faces. Um. I love that. I love Anthony coming back as Candyman before the bees like consume his face and he he morphs into Tony Todd. That was awesome. Um and I don't really have anything wrong with the idea of Candyman being like a mantle. I mean Helen pretty much adopts a Candyman mantle at the end of the first movie. She's yeah. able to be summoned, when, which is a little when weird. Trevor Yeah, when Trevor says her name five times she comes, which I don't understand. I actually
1: counted fairly. four, but maybe I was wrong. Well
0: he does he does say it five times. He mutters it once. If you look if you uh, watch it with subtitles, which I did, he it says under his breath Helen and then Helen uh, okay. four times. That's what I uh, meant. Um, okay. All right. Um All right. but uh you know, so I don't have a problem with that. But the idea I think there being three simultaneous Candyman at least at the same time who sh- all seem to share the same physical body, but they can also also, you know, all appear individually to kill people when summoned. It's like it's like weird to me. So Sherman is one of he's the one most summoned during the movie. He's like yeah. the one um, most focused on is how the movie starts. But well, then he's Tony the one Tano's that also, they hear
1: most about early on. Right. right? That Yeah. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. But then Tony Todd is also in that and is also in there, I guess. And and then when Brianna, of course, when Brianna summons Candyman at the end, it's Anthony. So, like, how does that work? I, I It's, it's kind of confusing to me. Is it one, because it seems to I be the same a, body.
1: I don't have a problem with that any more than I have a problem with, like, you know, well, where did the clones in Us, what were they doing all those years under us? Like, right. I think you're overthinking this because it's like you don't do that to a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I I don't have a problem with us because that entire movie
0: is a metaphor. It's all allegorical. Right. With this, I feel like Candyman is supposed to be a real force in this world. He's not just a concept. He is a real. He's a
1: real force in this world, and the idea well, but I that think there are, the force in this world, according to the filmmakers, and maybe I'm wrong, is that they're striking back for racial justice. Unlike the first film, where it's all about. You know, Daniel Robitaille just keeping his mythology alive so he can stay alive and stay relevant and be like a Freddy Krueger character. In this one, it's more about pure vengeance. And to me, that makes more sense. I, I don't know. So, I,
0: so I, you know how much I love the original. It just, I feel like it takes a little something from the character of Dam- Daniel Robitaille. If there are like three, that can also be summoned by saying Candyman's name in front of a mirror five times. Um, it's just like if before it was it was just Candyman, now he's just one of the Candymen, even though he's the original. Now there are seven. So when you summon him, it's just kind of like a roll of the dice about which Candyman you'll get. I'm very confused about that. Well, I think it depends uh,
1: on which mythology you've heard.
0: Maybe um I don't know maybe because but then why does Tony Todd ap- appear to Brianna at the end like it's it's it is it seems like she summons Anthony and that makes sense because that's her fiance. But um, he's Sherman Fields. The rest of the movie for well, um, one, I think it's just a cool ending
1: to be honest. But and it is a
0: cool and it's a crowd pleasing. I, I I tweeted you right after I got out of the yeah. the movie. I said there is a crowd pleasing ending, and you'll know what I mean when you watch it. Yep. Um, I just don't. I, I think it takes something because I love Daniel robotai as a character, and I think it maybe takes something if he's not the only Candyman. If you well, but there come, was criticism
1: there, even at the time. Mm-hmm. That by making him a character that would kill anyone,
0: uh-huh. in,
1: including, you know, African Americans,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that it made him a bo- bit of a narcissist instead of a vengeful kind of spirit. And right. I think that that Nia Dacosta and, and her team, Jordan Peele, have rectified that with this one because, with the exception of one scene, yeah, he only kills white people. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I, I see. I I would give credence to that.
0: Honestly, I honestly think that scene with the the other flashback with William and his sister in the bathroom. I think that was added in. I feel like that was like they're like, there's not enough scares. Yeah, in. maybe because it doesn't make any sense if he's he kills exclusively white people except he also kills two black uh, teenage girls. Yeah. That
1: which that, that may is, have been a throwback to Daniel Robitaille's character. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. It may be, maybe. I maybe mean, not. That's where it falls
0: apart. I think if, if if he had only killed white people in this movie, it would have made sense to me. I would have said, okay, so okay, I I, I get it more. But the fact that there he are
1: candy men who are just vengeful spirits, they're just there to avenge. You know, know, kind of the racism that they experience, and for some reason Daniel Robitaille is not on that track he's just more concerned about um his mythology living on but that being said he's the only candy man that's mentioned that's a child of wealth
0: yeah sure yeah and another thing is also i feel like the fact that doesn't get brought up about daniel robitaille enough i mean he's 200 years old in the first one uh so i mean at least He's a uh-huh. hundred. He's a hundred and two, or whatever, in the first. Oh, one. right. Okay. Oh, it's, it's, 1990. 1990. it's eighteen ninety. It's eighteen ninety. I just percent. thought about that. But yeah. he's he's been around for a while, and he's been right. he's been killing for a while. So I feel like over time, maybe he lost his, his way a little bit. I think that's the implication that maybe he's that, set out that more. That could be. That um, that could be. Which makes him more interesting, and I I think that Daniel Robitaille is such an interesting character, and I like Sherman Fields as well, but then also Anthony McCoy is Candyman, and then also possibly hundreds of others uh, other black men who have been killed by police unjustly so it's like okay so is Candyman just a concept now so when you say Candyman in the mirror if you've ever heard of someone who's been unjustly killed by the police they'll be summoned to kill you it just loses a little something for me that it's not just Daniel Robitaille now Um, and again I don't have a problem with it being sort of a mantle like other people like Helen can be summoned by saying her name and I guess it'd be kind of dorky to say Sherman Fields Sherman Fields Sherman Fields you know five times that would be Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of dorky, but the fact that he's also Candyman and then Anthony's Candyman and then, like I said, hundreds of other people are Candyman. I like the I, the concept of it, but it also takes something from the first movie. I feel like, um, and I disagree that 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 the first movie isn't politically. But I feel like it also it does touch on gentrification and on the on um, how uh, Black it people touches on people.
1: it, but this one does it more. It definitely.
0: Right, it definitely leaves it less up to interpretation. It, it more shows it to you. Yeah. Um, but I, I still, I like both. I still like the nuanced uh, nature of the first movie, how it just kind of hints at everything, just, that just by taking place in Cabrini-Green, just by taking place in Chicago, inherently race will be an issue that is discussed when you're talking about the movie. Yeah. Whereas with this this movie, that is that is the point. Like, that is that is the point of the movie. um i just i i I don't know just that is my main problem with with the movie is is how the candyman mythos is and i think a lot of people will be more angry about it than i am i'm not angry about it i found it interesting but i still think it takes a little something from the first movie my other problem i have two problems my other problem is with some of the writing. Not in the story structure. I thought the story structure was strong, especially the twist with Anthony and his mom. When we see his mom, we're like, oh. Yeah, when
1: we realize who Anthony is, I was going to ask you about that. It's Vanessa Williams. That Anthony McCoy, and you got Vanessa Williams back, and Anthony McCoy was the baby from the first one. Yeah, you're like, oh. As soon as she opened the door, I was like, she looks familiar. Who is?
0: Oh, I remember seeing Vanessa Williams in the credits oh it's the mom and i remember and then rewatching the movie she says that her baby's name is anthony so it's been yeah that's definitely i that was so interesting i love the story structure of that i don't have a problem with that i just had a problem i think and this is surprising to me i did i did message you about this after watching it some of the comedic dialogue especially with you referenced them earlier that hipster white couple it just really fell flat for me. And everybody in the theater that I was with, there were groans from the theater. And maybe that was the point, I don't know. But Jordan Peele co-wrote this, which was really surprising to me. I mean, we don't really know, there are three people on the on the script, so yeah. we don't really know who's to blame. But when the girl's just naming Joy Division songs, like yeah. referencing them, and then the guy, when he's about to be killed by Candyman and his girlfriend's throat is just then slit open and he's trying to get himself unbuckled from her, he says, must go faster, must go faster, referencing Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. I just thought that was so just... They were, like, trying to throw comedy in a theme where it didn't need to be. Like, I don't think that guy, drunk as he all was, right. about to be killed fair. by Candyman, would have made a Jurassic Park reference in that part. And I don't—maybe that that girl, that hipster girl, would have made Joy Division songs. But it felt, like, really snarky, like the like the screenwriters were trying to be like, this is cool. We like Joy Division. We know all these Joy Division songs. No, so I didn't, really I, like
1: I didn't take it that way, but I do get your point about The Must Go Faster. I will concede that. I was okay with the Joy Division.
0: I did thing. not like that.
1: Love and will tell us to
0: the, the end. And it's like, Okay, great. You've listened to that one Joy Division album. Great great that you but and, and well, another that
1: didn't bother me. I know of a lot of hipster people like that. But I, I um but, but I will
0: defend. But but I'm to not. And I've already said I like the story structure. And I also like there's there is dialogue that I really like. Um, first of all, I think that Anthony and Brianna's really, relationship is really strong. I love the way that that's um uh, conveyed. And well, I love the that scene as where soon he's
1: as, mentioned on the news. It's like they mentioned my name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, exactly. I love, I love that, that scene. And I also love. As soon as, as she, and this is hinted at you know, with her father and the backstory with her father, Yeah. it seems like as soon as she starts to see his art take over him and he shatters the mirror, she leaves. She's out of there to go stay with her brother because she knows that things will just escalate if she stays, which is smart, and I, I really respected her for that. Um, I've seen a lot of people – and defend the dialogue a little bit. I've seen a lot of people complaining about her brother um, uh
1: well, I thought saying he was that he's comedic.
0: Yeah, lots of people have been complaining about him, and I heard I people he even great. in the theater – I enjoyed his character too. Um, I, 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 I people are saying that did he did a
1: great job. I don't think there was anything wrong with it.
0: People have been complaining about him, saying he's just an unnecessary comedic character. I enjoyed his, especially no. when he comes back with Brianna back to Anthony's apartment, back to their apartment, I guess it's Brianna and Anthony's apartment. What? I
1: mean, how when many horror like, movies? We can't even count the number of horror movies that have a comedic like character yeah. there for a little right. bit. Whether it's Ted and Friday 13th Part 2 or whatever, there's always one. of. What's the problem with that? I don't think there's yeah. a problem there.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree, but I wanted to defend that a little bit. I'm not against comedy in yeah. uh, horror movies in general, but that that must go faster. And the, the joy division thing really just struck the wrong chord with me, I guess. Um,
1: I liked but, it when he walked into the apartment, he was like, we are here, we are yeah, taking her say. stuff and yeah, all that. It, kind of stuff. I thought that was great.
0: Yeah, because he's defending his, his sister. You know, he yeah. doesn't want her to be in an abusive relationship. Um, so I, I really, I really, yeah, I also, I really enjoyed that. I I so I don't have a problem with that. I I had a problem with the 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 comedic writing of the hipster couple. Maybe that was supposed to be cringy. I don't think the must go faster thing was supposed to be cringy. I think that was just supposed to be funny, meta, whatever. But um, there was another thing I didn't I I like William as a character. His turn is really abrupt. I mean that is a a really abrupt. one. I feel like there's some stuff cut there with his character. I feel like maybe they cut out a little bit maybe between him and Anthony that kind of hinted more that he was devious. I would have liked to see that because when he's in the chapel brianna wakes up in the in the chapel and anthony's faced around and he's giggling like the joker i thought that they they cut something out there i felt like maybe his turn was a little too quick Um, i
1: see i disagree i i i didn't see a problem with that um sociopaths can do that especially those facing trauma I don't know,
0: but I feel like they were trying to set him up as being more sympathetic. You showed two full full length flashbacks of him for reasons to hate Candyman and hate racial injustice, and there's that part where he was talking to Anthony about how Candyman is every you know, he's a bunch of. But he's been
1: traumatized, but then he's come to both deal with his own guilt and hate the cops. And hate what's going on around him with the gentrification. So yeah. that to me was a natural lead. I didn't I didn't see it that way. I see, I I just I feel like he
0: he was he was angry about racial injustice, but then does he not dress Anthony up as the candyman and call the cops on him because which would lead me to believe he wanted Anthony to be gunned down? I really don't understand he his He did his, want his, him to be because that's how point. you become candyman, is through tragedy. But why? But it, Candyman, he accidentally led to Sherman Fields becoming Candyman and his Sherman Fields and killed his sister. But I don't understand why he would want Anthony to and become. And now
1: he needs another Candyman. And I don't
0: understand. I really don't understand his character motivation. I was, I was really interested in him, and I liked him as like the sage mentor. He's like wise mentor for Anthony, like filling him in, and his expo- I, exposition. I didn't, didn't have a
1: problem with that turn at all. I thought it was perfectly natural. I, I did,
0: I, I did feel like it was a little too much of a one eighty. Uh, I don't have a problem with him being villainous, but the, when he was cackling like the Joker when she was
1: running away. It's just, it just really... He's been waiting his whole life for this, but he's a victim of PTSD. I mean, and victims of PTSD often don't deal with things logically. They don't have a, you know, they can sometimes just like, you know, functional addicts and stuff like that—they can—they can appear fine until they take that turn. I've seen that. That's why you know, Gilman and I have that big debate over the mist, the ending of the mist. It's like he doesn't right. see it coming, and I'm like, as a pastor, I've seen that happen. Well, uh, yeah, I don't have a problem. So with- I, that I, yeah, there is. Yeah. People can turn pretty quickly when there's a trigger, and and there's a trigger here, and so I didn't have a problem with that at all. I, from my own personal
0: taste, I felt like it was a little too jarring for me. I did not, once I settled into it, I was fine with it. Especially, I love, um, I I, I love Anthony's transformation into Candyman, that whole body horror thing with William chopping off his hand and then he's got the the honeycomb hives kind of thing all over him. Yeah, I definitely, the one eye.
1: Which was a long hook. Yeah. Just, oh man. Yeah. Just white tooth stump. Very, very disturbing.
0: Oh. But I, at least I was at least glad that his hand with the bee sting on it was gone. I was like, okay, well at least I don't have to look at that pussy that uh, <laughs> pustule anymore. But um, yeah, so my personal, I've got I've got three gripes with it. First gripe is, I don't think they clearly defined enough the Candyman mythos. I like the idea that they're that they're coming with, but I think it takes away a little bit from Daniel picture. Right. if you just say that you can say Candyman five times and one All of right. hundreds, possibly hundreds of can- I Candyman. I think
1: it depends on the mythology you hear. I didn't have a problem with that. I think they made it clear that it was like the crow type thing of horrible things happen. It's the crow is one individual. You know what well, I mean? It's like, no, there antics. are pro sequels, but anyway, so yeah, I, okay, I know but, they're not worth watching, but I'm just, but there were, but <laughs> well, I, I didn't have same, a problem. Same can be with said that. of the
0: original Candyman sequels from the nineties, but, um, but, uh, yeah. And then my second, second problem was with the writing and that was the writing of that hipster, uh, couple. Third I problem was, was problem with William's turn. I, I don't have a problem with William's turn, but I do have a problem with how rough it was. Those
1: people, unfortunately. So go ahead.
0: I, I just feel like something was cut. I can almost see it. It feels like we get that last scene, with him and anthony but anthony is like not fully transformed at that point like only his arm really has that honey honeycomb thing on it so it feels like there was another interaction between them when he was more transformed that maybe
1: well i'm not so sure there was the whole possession thing of helen like when she cuts off the rottweiler she's basically possessed by candy in the 982 version so i i yeah i'm not I, I i think the lines are blurry on purpose with supernatural i'm okay with that
0: Okay. Yeah, I did well, and that's that comes down to personal preference. I mean, and uh, sure. another thing is we've both only seen this movie once, so yes. I may it may grow on me. You may notice things that you don't like as much on your on a repeat viewing. But we've only seen it once in theaters, and I was really excited to see it. So I may even be more cynical. I doubt that. I don't want to get people riled up, but um, yeah, just I think just the fact of that the fact that I watched the the, the sequel and then then rewatched the the first film. Yeah made me realize what made the original so special. And I think that a little bit of that was missing from, from the second one. I don't think it's as as good as the original. I'm just going to throw that out there. I, I don't think it's, it's as rewatchable, as mysterious. Um, I don't think it's as chilling. It's certainly biting and, and socially relevant. And I think the performances as a whole, we have more powerhouse performances. Whereas in the first movie, we have uh, Virginia Madsen and we have um, Tony Todd. And then we have a bunch of side characters that are they're really good in their characters, but they're not powerhouse steal the scene. Whereas I think with this movie, we have a whole cast of characters that can steal the scene depending on what scene they're in. I mean, William steals the scene. Yeah. Brianna steals the scene. Um, uh, obviously, Anthony steals the scene depending on what uh, mental state he's in. Um, and even uh, Brianna's brother steals the scene. so it really more powerhouse performances. I think the cast is 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 more. Um, m- it, this is more of a best actor, best actress kind of cast, you know, or best supporting actor. Or, uh, whereas I like the cast of the original Candyman. I don't think Vanessa Williams in the first Candyman was going to win best supporting actress because she's just she's. I thought she was
1: good in it, though.
0: In this movie, we haven't talked about this yet. I can't believe we we just kind of touched on this. This when Anthony visits his mom, and she explains to him why they moved out of Cabr- Cabrini Green, why she lied to him about his past, right. and they're getting really emotional. She feels the side of his face, and she feels that that honeycomb pattern. Yeah, that scene was just so emotionally powerful. I th- I think she was I really agree in her role in this movie. So yeah, yeah the performance wise, uh, more of a powerhouse in this movie. Oh, um,
1: when we get to our horror Oscars, you know, yeah. next year. You know, I'm going to be voting for – along with our Patreon, I'm going to be you know, really pushing that there are a number of performances and, and other things here, the cinematography really? and so forth, that need to be way up there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think technically, as I said earlier – so just to just really sum up my thoughts, technically – a, a fantastic movie. This is a theater movie yes. through and through. Um, I think as a, you know, I had never heard of this director before. Then the first thing I see is this, this good. It, it really was oh. surprising to me. Um, uh, I thought that the score was fantastic. The sound design was fantastic. Yes. Maybe not as, as iconic of a score as the film glass thing, though I was feeling that during the opening credits when we see the foggy Chicago skyline in a reflection with that music. I was like, this is incredible. The music never gets to that high again. I don't think it never gets to the high of it was always you, Helen, that kind of piano ballad. Um, But it does serve the movie very well. And the sound design was fantastic as well. This was definitely one to see in surround sound. Again, yeah. I had a few gripes with the writing. I've gotten to that. And I don't think it will be as rewatchable, though that is a complaint that is totally something. I to
1: think he, I was going to say, I think you may need to hold off on that. And by the way, Wynn Rosenfeld, who helped write this with Jordan mm-hmm. Peele and Nia DaCosta, also yeah. wrote some of the episodes of The Twilight Zone and yeah. the Amazon series Hunters, which yeah, I really I, liked.
0: I saw so. that he also produced *Black Klansmen, which yep. I really enjoyed. That movie. Oh, so that's a great. He movie. has done good work. Yep. Um, yeah. So absolutely, I, I really respect this movie. This is I I was I was looking at my list of my favorite 2021 releases, which I won't spoil by the way, um, because that that'll be for our year-end um, to, uh, top ten lists. But. Um, this is better than a few of the horror movies that I've seen so far this year, certainly better than, than some of the ones I've seen streaming. And as far as theater going experiences go, this is up there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did have problems with it, but I think this is, uh, well, obviously this is the best sequel to Candyman so far.
1: Yes. Well that, yeah, that goes without saying, but all right, let's get into our ratings and recommendations because we've got like Fifteen minutes left, where you have to skedaddle, but uh, yep. out of the place you've reserved to do this podcast at university, <laughs> which we all appreciate. It's gonna but. be it's
0: gonna be interesting, but I, I it's it's worth it. This is this is my favorite my favorite. I'll say this is my favorite class of uh, of of my entire <laughs> college. Schedule. Well,
1: we'll see how you feel about a cinema appreciation when it's done. It's, I think it's gonna yeah. be fine, but um, to me, mm-hmm. this is one of my favorite movies of the year, if not the favorite. I'll keep that. I just took my top 10 list. I've seen 26 horror movies this year. Yeah. Um, I've made my list private on Letterboxd until the end of the year, mm-hmm. until we do our episode on our best of. Um, but this is a nine out of 10. Yeah. Well, wow. I will buy it when it comes out. I think Nia DaCosta's, um, Man, oh man, I think her star is shining bright. I can't wait to see what she does in the future. Um, I, of course, am a Jordan Peele fanboy, Mm -hmm. um, and so I can see his touch here in the writing, but I think her directing is just incredible. Um, Man, I have not seen a director with a feature like this early on in his or her career make this strong of a film outside of she's right up there with jordan peele robert eggers and ari aster i think it's that strong Um, and i really look forward to what she's going to do in the future i hope she does another horror movie we've seen it looks like ari aster's next movie is kind of a drama thriller yeah robert Egar's next movie seems to be more of a thriller even though he is going back to horror with nosferatu um jordan peele's next movie fortunately is a horror movie um i i hope nia DaCosta does another horror movie because man if nothing else you know if you take all of our disagreements about this film out of it we both agree Mm -hmm. she shot the crap out of this film absolutely yeah absolutely um Yeah, I
0: I agree. While this isn't to the level of those directorial debuts, and this isn't her directorial debut. She's been working for a while. Um, She's done a lot of stuff, but has she done many features? I'm not sure. This may be her feature debut. um, But uh, it's not to the level of Hereditary um, or The Witch or or, um, Get Out, in my opinion. Um, I I think it's got a little bit too – those movies are – This is her
1: second film yeah okay she did a movie Um, called little woods which is a crime thriller which i will definitely hmm. be checking out
0: yeah um i i really did enjoy this yeah i've only seen eight new releases this (laughs) year um so i haven't been quite as busy as my dad um but i uh, know you were
1: definitely going to be in theaters to see halloween kills and last night's soho Yes, yeah, that that is that is for sure.
0: Those are those are two opening night ones Um, and this is in horror, but of course i've got to see the french Dispatch, the new west anderson movie and dune uh, by Denis, <laughs> Denis villeneuve Um, but um, yeah, so this is definitely ranked high for me so far in that list again I won't spoil it in case it uh, remains and and where it is um, but for me um I'm struggling with this right now. I originally had it between a seven point five and an eight. I'm thinking I'm going with a strong eight on this one.
1: All right. You you you're a pretty low rater among the two of us. So 8's pretty strong yeah. for you. Yeah.
0: So I, I I'm going with eight out of ten. I think that's what I'm settling on. Um, I, I did really enjoy it. It's not, again, I prefer the first film, and so do you, obviously. I mean, you gave the first film a perfect 10 out of 10. This is another Well, 9 out of 10. but
1: I need to rewatch this one again because, sure. as you said, I, I agree with you. Only having seen it once, and I've seen the original Candyman probably six, seven, eight times. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah, I, I need to sit with it a while. I will say that when I walked out of the theater, I thought, well, it was a solid eight out of 10, but it really stuck with me during it the did. weekend. And I, I preached twice i had a lot going on but it really really stuck with me and so it's like no if it sticks with me that much if i'm thinking about this this much i'm going up to a 9 out of 10 and it may go up to 9.5 or a 10 after a rewatch because i will buy this when this drops to blu-ray and watch it again yeah
0: yeah it did it did definitely grow on me i came out of it Um, And I recorded my thoughts um, in my voice memos app right out of the theater sitting in my car. And um, it definitely grew on me as I was talking about it and thinking about it more and more. Um, So yeah, it's sitting at an eight out of 10 for me right now. It was originally 7.5, but I'm going with eight out of 10. and that's not C and D by the way, that I that I say I prefer the, the first film. That's not cinematic mm-hmm. nostalgia disorder because I saw the first Candyman. You're not first, old enough.
1: You were born in two thousand three. Right. I was born in seventy-two. I was um, twenty when Candyman came out. So yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. But um, yeah. So
1: I, I, I did really enjoy
0: this this movie. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Nia DaCosta does in the future, even well, if she's she not is, collaborating she with She's
1: doing um the Marvels. She's doing a Marvel movie next, which hmm. comes out next year. OK, I did. I with see, Brie I, I Larson. not even heard of this. OK, well, there you go. Um,
0: I wonder if that has anything to do with Miss Miss Marvel. I, if I don't that know.
1: Do I, that. That's all I read real quickly, but mm-hmm. I will go see it. You know, I'm not I am a superhero film fan, not a super fan, but I'm a fan. Yeah. I I try to see all of them. I don't necessarily rewatch all of them. Right. But um, good for her. That's going to be a big paycheck and she deserves mm-hmm. it. But I hope she. And comes that seems back to be sometime. that's that seems to be the way with with big production <laughs> companies these days. Is they
0: see somebody who did a very a really good indie budget or a yeah. Movie. Well,
1: it's like Scott Derrickson does the exorcism exorcism of Emily Rose. And then the next thing you know is he's doing Doctor Strange.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, yeah. It's exactly that. They're like, oh, you can do well with this. Well, and sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm really hoping that she succeeds in the bigger you know the bigger features kind of thing because sure. A- oftentimes it, it doesn't, and that's a scary thing. Like Josh Trank makes chronicle which was a really good indie movie and then they gave him fan fantastic four and didn't trust him enough to make his own movie yeah they let's, hope they, yeah, let's yeah. hope they
1: don't yeah let's hope they don't meddle let. with
0: artists like, let them make yes. their vision let them make what they want to make yes. don't give them don't give them notes like oh i think that there isn't enough of this there isn't enough of that let them make the movie they want to make if it turns out bad you know whatever but they tried and
1: Dia they has shown she has made a great movie she is a solid filmmaker Stay off her back and let her just make the marvels, whatever that is. Damn. I will go see it. But I hope that she does come back to horror at some point because oh, yeah. she's such a gifted filmmaker. And I think we both agreed. I mean, if nothing else, visually, mm-hmm. I, I, I disagree with you on the screenplay. I didn't have a problem with any of that, but visually, the- this is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely yeah this is
0: this will be one to watch and i don't even i don't even love you know 4k blu-rays or whatever but i'm tempted you know this this is a this is a very you can make you can make a lot of these shots your wallpaper you know this one's one of those those movies so yeah absolutely i will go ahead
1: and say the scene we've been talking about with the art critic in her apartment yeah you know where you know she's the camera is going back and that that's a brilliant shot, isn't it yeah. Not? yeah, Absolutely. And I love the color palette.
0: We're we're, we're 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 done talking about the movie. We've given our ratings, but I'm still thinking things The color palette. I mean, I mean Sherman yes. Fields coat and just the yes. and when he, that elevator scene, we forgot to talk about the elevator scene. The 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 look of that is just fantastic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. But but yeah, 8 out of 10 for me, 9 out of 10 for you. We both say watch it as soon as you can and if you yes. like it, buy it. Um yeah, I would yes, definitely say, by both sense. Candyman, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of both Candyman films. There are no other Candyman films except these two. Uh, not to take away from Tony Todd's work on Candyman 2 and 3. No, and
1: that, he's uh, always great, but those were crappy sequels, yeah. but he didn't write them. But I will yeah. say this, uh, Nia DeCosta, if you're listening, please, when this Blu-ray drops, we want a commentary. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Please do a commentary. I want to hear your thoughts on every single shot here.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, buddy. Well, that does it for us. So, Candyman 1992 and Candyman 2021. And we might as well just say, you know what? That's a franchise review because we're just going (laughs) to ignore the other (laughs) two. And um, we both say, go see it in theaters, buy it when it comes out. So, Jackson, where can they find you online, buddy?
0: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero Twelve. That's K A I N E underscore Hero Twelve, um, and you can find my letterbox and YouTube links from there. Uh, you can also uh, check us out on Patreon, Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. Twitter at Father Son Horror, Father and Son Watch Horror dot com, all that good stuff. Um, I've got a review of Stuck from two thousand seven. Uh, oh, coming up on the Patreon. Nice. So if you're if you're looking forward to if you if you've seen that movie, if you haven't seen that movie, let's just say this. You ever thought about the fact that what if you were stuck in a in a car windshield? Uh <laughs> if you've ever wondered that and you want to find out, watch my review of stuck, watch the movie. Um That's so, Stuart
1: Gordon, right? Yes,
0: that is Stuart Gordon, right. who had a little bit of a renaissance in the two thousands, um yeah. with movies. I mean, he made great movies in the eighties. Yeah, so so check that out if you're interested. I recently put up a, a review of the Crazies as well, and we're we're announcing our guests on our upcoming Halloween, Halloween franchise, franchise review. So if you want if you want to join uh, one of our guests, we've pretty much got a guest on every episode. But if you want to join one of our guests to kind of it'll take the pressure off the guest, and you know possibly you know start a new horror friend uh, friendship. Um, yeah, definitely let us know, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun with that.
1: Great. So you can find me at Pastor Matt R on Twitter and also on Letterboxd. And we also have a closed Facebook group that is slowly growing, which you can join. Mm -hmm. So, all right, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye. And remember, if you're a Chicago
0: scholar or artist of any kind, and you're thinking about where you'll find inspiration for your next project, just fly an hour south to St. Louis. You might save yourself a whole world of hurt. (laughs)
1: They may have their own candy, man. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. They could. Thanks for listening. And remember that the family that watches horror movies together slays together. See you next time.
0: Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon, Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Ryan Bratton, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corpy, James McPheeters, Ashley Pinkard, Greg Amortis and Pearl from Land of the Creeps, Raul Rivera, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much. You make this podcast possible.
1: Like a, like a doll's eye.